Hey everybody, this is part two of Martin and I's conversation about stories from the early church that inspire us. So today we're talking about the not-so-early church with a guy by the name of Martin Luther, who some of you might recognize, and a Catholic saint by the name of St. Francis of Assisi that, again, some of you may recognize depending on your church background. Uh, We hope that these are inspirational. We hope that these stories get you thinking about our responsibilities as Christians and the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. If this is at all inspirational, helpful, or even just interesting to you, please consider leaving a five-star review, emailing us with any ideas for future episodes that you might have at realpockettheology at gmail.com, and sharing this with your family and friends. It really helps to get the word out there. So without further ado, let's get into it. So, Martin, you have a story about Martin Luther, right? I do. All right. Go Fun for fact it. that is not who I'm named after. But, you know, I always think it's cool. Uh, this is my fun fact for this story, though. In Germany, they have, they celebrate a day called your Namenstag, which is your name day. Uh, they celebrate it kind of like a birthday, but it's based off of a, like, saint that shares your name. So, St. Martin's Day is November 6th, in case anybody's wondering and wants to get me something this November. But that's also not based off of Martin Luther, because the Catholic Church was not a huge fan of him. Yeah, they're still not a huge fan of him. Yeah. So, let me share a little bit about good old Martin Luther. So... Uh, Martin Luther was a, he was a monk when he, we start our story. He was a monk in the Catholic Church. He has been working on translation and reproduction, and uh, he basically spends the entirety of his life dedicated to the study and continuation of scripture. So he sits there for days and weeks and years and copies the bible by hand uh which is studies and copies all in latin because you're not allowed to translate it yet which is really important yeah um it's also in his second language of which nobody really speaks at the time latin doesn't really exist in the 16th ish century um but he spends his entire life doing this and Eventually, he starts to figure out that some of the things the Catholic Church is doing doesn't line up with what he's copying or studying. So, for instance, uh, we did a little bonus episode on purgatory. uh, And one of the reasons that I don't, you know, uh, I don't fully understand it is because I don't have a modern concept of it. In the 16th-ish century, when Martin Luther was living and writing, uh, they taught about purgatory, but they taught, more importantly, about indulgences, is what it's called. And what it was is, um, if my grandmother died today, God, I hope she doesn't, because I'll feel terrible about it, but if my grandmother died today, And I know that she will be in heaven eventually. She's in purgatory currently. But 
her family members, they can give a little bit extra and save grandma from a little bit of torment, get her into heaven just a little bit earlier. So they were basically teaching people that you could buy your way out of purgatory, which. Yeah. And you could do it for yourself too. You didn't have to wait for someone to die. Yeah. So I could be like, man, I don't know. I want to get a little sinning in on Thursday. Let me give a little extra money and get some indulgences for like drinking and carousing and sexual sin. And I'm going to go out and party and I won't have to spend as long in purgatory for it. So all of you guys who are listening to this and maybe you didn't know that was a thing that was going on. You're like, holy crap. Yeah, it's super freaking messed up. So um, Martin, good old Martin, uh, decided that he was going to do something about this. And all of the reformers really did. But I like Martin Luther's way of doing it because it was the biggest F you that you could have given somebody. So the other reformers are like, okay, we're going to, we're going to just preach against this. We're going to take some people. We're going to preach against this. And hopefully we're going to fix the Catholic church. And Martin Luther said, Hey man, I don't, clearly this isn't working for you. I got a whole new method. Let's try this. We're going to write down everything that's wrong. And then we're going to give it to them. We're going to just say, Hey, this is, this is your fix it list, right? Um, here's the thing. They really weren't a fan of him at this point because he was openly talking about how the Catholic church sucked. So he writes his 95 reasons that you suck and he pins it on the door of the local church. Now I have only gone to one church building that had a piece of paper pinned up on it. And I was terrified about what I would find on it because this is my entire background with random pieces of paper on a church. Um, but it was just telling them that they were going to have service with the Baptist church down the street on Sunday. So Martin writes his 95 reasons that you suck. And instantly there is just, I mean, there's hate thrown towards him. He is on the run. And he is, he doesn't just like, hey, let's talk about these. By posting it publicly, he's trying to get people involved. I believe he sends a copy to the Pope and mm -hmm. to his bishop, maybe. I don't know so he's that. like spreading the word. He's like, no, nah, I want y'all to know. And he's getting people involved. Yeah. So this ends up getting mass produced. That's why we still have copies. Because he's like pumping these out like getting them printed and sending them out to so, make sure people know and this is why this is so important first of all scripture is only recorded in latin at this point like jason said they are not allowed to translate it yet second latin is not spoken anymore which means the majority of people cannot read scripture themselves third the only people who could do that were the preachers, the monks, and the leaders of the church. They were the only people who were trained to understand Latin. And because that's all it was written in, they had to kind of go, I mean, they went for it themselves. They would translate, they would teach. But 
it, it wasn't even uncommon for some monks to not know Latin and to have never read the scriptures themselves and just rely on what other church officials tell them. So it was like very restrictive. There's a lot of power to being able to say, I can read the Bible and you can't. There is. And again, most of you guys listening to this that don't know that this was a thing at any point, you're going, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's the correct response. This is super messed up. So Martin Luther took 95 things that the church was doing that was not in scripture and posted it on the door, not only so that the leaders could see, but so that the people could see it because he wrote his 95 theses in German. So the people can read them and say, what's this about? That was a lot of power at the time to be able to ask your preacher, hey, um, you talk about this a lot, but it doesn't really show up anywhere. Which is, like like we said, that's a lot of power. Uh, Martin Luther also, while on the run, trying to avoid the Catholic Church altogether, is also translating the Bible into German for the people to read for themselves. While hiding out disguised as someone he's not. Yeah. After a fake kidnapping. It's it's a wild story. You guys should like just read the whole story of Martin Luther if you have time. It's There's a movie thing. about it. It's not a great movie, but it's a movie. So, <laughs> like most Christian cinema. It's not great, but it exists. Yeah, I watched it in my German class in high school. Nice. Like every other year. So Martin Luther did some really awesome things. He is my favorite reformed leader. Uh, and like Jason said in one of our early epi- earlier episodes, if our church had saints, he'd be right on up there. Yeah. Uh, Martin Luther, let me boil this down, decides there is a problem with the church and that he's going to address it himself. And that's one of the things that I think is really cool about who he is uh, and who all of the reformers are, really. But Martin Luther's the coolest because he was in Germany. Martin Luther said, there's a lot of things wrong here and we need to talk about it. And when they wouldn't listen to him, he wrote it on a door so that everyone else could get involved. He saw a problem with the church and he said, I'm going to fix it. He didn't say, I'm going to leave this to someone else. I'm going to let someone else do this. He didn't get upset and say, I'm going to find somewhere else to go. He said, I'm going to deal with this myself because this is not what our Bible teaches. And this is not what we understand to be true. And that's one of the things that I think is really cool about him. And then he said, there's a lot of power in being able to understand what God has given us. So let me make sure that the people can understand God's story. Yeah, the big emphases of Martin Luther's entire life is to stop the church from misrepresenting scripture in ways that allows them to abuse and manipulate their parishioners and to make sure that every person is empowered to understand the scriptures for themselves. And that's to say that one man really changed the course of Western history is not an understatement with him. He did. I mean, everything from the way that our education systems developed, obviously the way that the church has developed 
you might even attribute like the rise of Western democracy in part to what Martin Luther did. Just a tremendously influential individual. Martin, I have a little bit of a present for you here that I know you'll appreciate. Did you know that online there is a Martin Luther insult generator? I did not. So I found, so I don't know if you remember Mike Lansley. I know you met him once. He mm-hmm. recommended it to me. Shout out, Michael, if you're listening to this. You can just Google Martin Luther, Martin Luther insult generator. But I want to read you the best. All it does is it's a collection of all the times he insulted someone in his writing. And you click insult me again. And it presents you with an insult as though Martin Luther were insulting you. So this one's from Against the Roman Papacy, an institution of the devil. Page 300 of Luther's works, volume 41. The insult is... You think like this, as I am a crude donkey and refuse to read books, there is no one else in the world who reads them either. Rather, I will allow my braying hee-haw to resound or even let out a large fart and then everyone will consider it to be pure truth. (laughs) And there's just dozens and dozens of these insults. And most of them are hilarious. Uh, but what do you say? Come here, Satan. And if you had all the more all the more worlds than this, I would accept them all and not only worship you, but also lick your butt. <laughs> He's just it's hilarious. He's a very, very aggressive human at times, though, with very good reason. So that's Martin Luther, the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. <laughs> I love that. All right. Is there anything else that you wanted to add to your uh, story or the person? We could talk about Martin Luther for a long time. We're good? Okay. All right. I got one more story. And it's hilarious because we're going to go from someone who has actually been officially, to this day, according to the Catholic Church, is in hell because of his movements. I do not agree, for the record. I do not think the Pope has that power. But we're going to go from someone who is anathema to a catholic saint so this is gonna be a little bit of whiplash my second story is about saint francis of assisi who is the patron saint of the franciscan order which is a monastic order also the patron saint of merchants stowaways ecology and animals as well as a few different provinces and areas uh so saint francis was living in gabbio italy which is just north of rome It was a relatively small village at the time that this story takes place. And this story, it might be true. It might be apocryphal. It might be that something like this happened, but the details have been changed. But I want to share this story because of its inspirational value and because it gives us some insight into some really important theological truths when we think about it that are valuable, regardless of whether or not this story is historic or not. So St. Francis was living in Gabbio, Italy, just north of Rome. And there happened to be a particularly large and aggressive wolf in the area that was killing livestock. But eventually it begins attacking humans as they're trying to defend their livestock and gets such a taste for human flesh that it almost exclusively hunts, kills, and eats humans. And these villagers are, of course, terrified because there's this wild animal out there that's just killing people. They even kill several of the children in the village. And they don't know what to do. They can't capture it. They can't kill it. It's just too smart. It's too strong. 
And St. Francis says, you know, hold my wine. I'm going to go take care of this. And they beg him to not go because they don't want, like they respect him. He's a saint. He's their priest. They love him. They don't want something to happen to him. And so they're begging him not to go. And he basically says, you know, don't worry about me. I'm going to go take care of it. And he goes and he finds this wolf. And as he finds the wolf, he, this is the way the story is recorded, at least in the version of it is recorded in the little flowers of St. Francis, which is a collection of stories about St. Francis. He sees this, the, the wolf, he makes the sign of the cross at it. And then he says, come here, brother wolf. I love how he refers to it as brother wolf. Some of the old English translations, he calls it friar wolf, like the wolf's a monk. It's just my favorite thing ever. Come here, brother wolf. I command you on behalf of Christ that you do no harm to me or to anyone. And the wolf's mouth is closed and he comes to St. Francis and lays down at his feet. And then St. Francis starts chewing the wolf out for being a bad boy. And he tells the wolf, you have done much damage in these parts and you've committed great crimes by destroying and killing the creatures of God without his permission. Not only have you killed beasts, but you even had the stubbornness to kill men who are made in the image of God. But nonetheless, I desire, Brother Wolf, to make peace between you and them, between you and the villagers. He then takes the wolf back to the village with him and continues to scold him and says, the whole town is complaining about you, but I want to make peace between you and the people. And so I promise that there will be food given to you regularly, Brother Wolf, by the people of this town so that you will no longer hunger because you did these things due to your hunger. And I want you, Brother Wolf, to promise in return that you will never cause harm to any person or animal. And the wolf showed agreement by bowing his head. So Francis then asked the people of town to promise to provide food for the wolf regularly, and they swear that they will. And then St. Francis asked the wolf to give a guarantee in front of all the people that he will no longer cause harm to the village, to its people, to its animals. And the wolf does so by placing his paw in St. Francis's hand. That's the way that he's like, yes, I understand, I promise. So the way that this is recorded in Little Flowers is the wolf lifting his right paw, placed it in the hand of St. Francis. Because of this action, there was much rejoicing and wonder among all of the people, and they began to cry out to heaven, praising and blessing God who had sent Francis to them, and who, through his merits, had freed them from the jaws of a cruel beast. And afterwards, that same wolf lived in Gabeo for two years, and he tamely entered houses, going from door to door, without ever doing any harm to anyone, and without any harm ever being done to him. And he was kindly fed by the people. Finally, after two years, Brother Wolf died of old age, and the citizens grieved him very much. And some versions of the story go on to explain that he was buried with honors, like you would for like an honored human, and that they actually built a church over the location of his death. So kind of a fun fact before we talk about the morals of the story a little bit. That church actually still stands. It's called the Church of St. Francis of the Peace in Gabeo, Italy. And in 1872, during renovations, they found a skeleton of a large wolf in the church. And you can visit the church today and see the sarcophagus where they reburied the remains when they were done with renovation. So at least according to legend, 
that skeleton is the skeleton of the wolf that St. Francis tamed. So, wild story. And if you're not used to listening to medieval or even pre-medieval Christian legends, then you're probably going, what the heck's the point of all of this? Martin, I- I'm actually curious. This is, is this the first time you've heard this story? Yes, this is the first time I've heard this story. So on your, your first hearing of this story, is there anything in here that stands out? They're kind of like, I think there's a lesson in this, or I think this shows something about how they think about their theology. Man, it sounds like a story that someone just made up. I'm going to be honest. This just doesn't sound real. But I think there's a lot of veneration for protection from God, of course, Mm -hmm. with him declaring that the wolf won't attack him because Jesus said so. Um, Yeah. Which reminds me of a lot of, like, horror movies, which I don't actually watch because they terrify me. Oh, like exorcism movies? Yeah. They're like, in the name of Jesus. The power of Christ compels you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's see what else. There's a lot of respect for the image of God. Humans as image bearers of the image of God. Yeah, there's a big emphasis that even animals shouldn't kill humans because they're made in the image of God. There's also a lot of providence involved in the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, that's it almost a good looks like yeah. the wolf is a puppet of God, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, well, it's brought about to honor God. I'm When you said providence, I was thinking more right at the end, they say that the little flower story, version of the story, says that the people praised God for sending Francis to them. So God was like working behind the scenes even before the wolf yeah. showed up to make sure Francis was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. That tracks too. So yeah, th- those are all valid observations, I think. Like these stories, as wild as, and Martin made the comment, man, it just sounds made up. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Like I have no problem either way. If someone could prove the story was true, cool. If they could prove it's not, then cool. It's not from the Bible. It's just a story. But any story that is recorded and stylized and repeated by a people group tells you a lot about how they think. Because they thought that story, whether it's true or false, was important enough to pass on and teach to their children. So this tells us a lot about how medieval Christians thought. So in addition to everything we already pointed out, there's a really big emphasis. You've seen tons of stories about the saints where they get to experience the kingdom of God now. Because they're so holy, they're so close to God, that they get benefits of the kingdom that regular Christians don't get. So in this case with Francis, and there's several other um, saints that you could point to that have similar stories. There's one that I can't remember the name of, um, who's a French saint. And she revives, there's a couple different versions of the story, but in one version of the story, she finds a bear mother with her cub and the cubs died from disease and she brings the cub back to life. And then the bears swear fealty to her and they accompany her for the rest of their lives. They just follow her around and protect her and serve her. So a lot of times it has to do with animals. And this actually echoes passages like Isaiah 11 
which famously talks about, this is actually a passage that's quoted in Romans 15, talking about Jesus. But in Isaiah chapter 11, there's a bunch of imagery, like verses 5 or 6 through like 11 or 12, somewhere in that range. Or maybe 5, five or 6 through 9, some, somewhere in that area. They're talking about, or the author's talking about, how children will play with vipers and how like lions and lambs will lay down together and cause each other no harm and how there will be no violence on what he calls his mountain zion there'll be no violence in the place where god is because knowledge of god has filled the earth so this is a picture of when jesus returns what is the world going to be like? There's going to be no violence. Even animals won't harm each other anymore. And because the saints are so close to Jesus, the thing that you see often with very holy people in these medieval stories is that they get to experience those benefits right now. Animals listen to them. Disease won't hurt them. Fire can't burn them. That's something we saw in the story of Polycarp, right? That fire couldn't even hurt him because he was so close to God that some of these special things that will happen when Jesus comes back that we'll all get to enjoy then, they get to enjoy now. And I think, well, I wouldn't take it as far as these saints stories do. If God decided to behave that way at that time, that's fine. But I wouldn't say, oh, if you're really close to God, then like a wolf won't try to eat you. No, if, if it's hungry, I assume it probably still will try to, and God can protect you if he chooses to, or he might not. Who knows? But there are elements of Christian life that you can only enjoy if you are close to Jesus. When we talk about having peace and understanding, being able to remain steadfast through difficult circumstances, you have to be close to Jesus to receive that. If you are, like you call yourself a Christian, but you, you never pray, you never study scripture, you're not in community, you're not close to Jesus, you really only think about him for an hour on Sunday, when you're like halfway sleeping through service, if that's your experience with God, yeah, you aren't going to get a whole lot of the here and now benefits of the kingdom. But if you're close and you're following him and you're trying your best in every possible area of your life to obey the will of Christ, you might end up like Polycarp. You might, you know, you might actually go through a lot of hardship for it, but you'll experience benefits as well. You'll have a peace and an understanding. You'll have a purpose those are true things. So I think there's some value in that. There's also a big emphasis on peace and forgiveness. You know, the villagers weren't so angry at the wolf that they just killed it when St. Francis brought the, the wolf to them. They forgave it and provided for it and made it a valued part of their community. And that's an important Christian ethic, not necessarily with animals, although please be nice to animals, but to forgive those who have harmed us, even when there is a grievous harm. That's an important Christian ethic. Another thing that's kind of secondary is that animals are part of the new creation. This is something that St. Francis and the Franciscan order today still teach, that when Jesus died, he didn't just die for humans, but he died to reconcile all of creation back to him. So every, every animal, every human, every inanimate object, that all of it is being brought back to, to God and to pure, be purified and made the way that it should be. So that question, like, do dogs go to heaven that people ask sometimes, the Franciscans would say yes, because when Jesus died, he wants everything that he made to exist in eternity with him. So not just 
dogs, but snakes and spiders and sheep and birds and everything will be in the new creation because God made them and we can truly say God loves them. So those are some of the lessons that we can see from this and from similar stories that I think have a lot of value for us. We should adopt some of what this story teaches, even if it's not a historical story, that's fine. You know, maybe someone just planted the wolf's body in that chapel later, or maybe there was some other myth before the church was built that got lost to time. It doesn't really matter. The lessons of this story are very valuable. I think about how we should forgive, how we should view God's kingdom being present here and now, uh, about how God cares for all of creation, including especially humans. All these things are very valuable things we can take out of this lesson, and it's why it's one of my favorite stories. I'm glad you really like that story, Jason. It's a fun one. I hadn't heard it before. I enjoyed it. Well, I have the- a lot of wild early church stories, if you ever want to hear them. Maybe, maybe we'll do a part two, because I'm sure we both have some more stories from the patristics up to the uh, the Reformation. So maybe we'll do this again in a couple of months or something. Yeah. So, um, is it next week that we'll be recording together? Next week's episode or the week after? You won't be in town until the week after. So we'll have to record one more episode separate. But yeah, me and Martin will be able to record in the same location here in like, I guess the episode will come out in like two weeks two or three weeks. It's exciting. You guys are going to hear us. We're going to be a lot more sarcastic to each other, I think. Quite possibly. Um, I'll finally get to meet your daughter because I haven't actually met Say in person yet. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. She's a fun kid. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up there, guys. We really appreciate you hanging out with us. We hope that these stories were inspirational to you. Um, They certainly are for me. They give us a lot of things, I think, to think about how do we live as Christians? How do we honor Jesus with our lives? And it's just a good thing to learn from those that have gone on before us. So if you found this helpful or inspirational or even just entertaining, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us. Send this to your friends and family or some of other stuff that you found helpful. Feel free to share it use it in a small group, do whatever you want to do. We're not making any money from it anyway. So go ahead and feel free to spread this as wide and far as you want. What's that? Not making money yet. Not making money yet. But if you were to, if someone were to actually send us $5. We'd be professionals. Then yeah, we'd actually, you know, we'd both quit our jobs and go full time. No, not really. But um. Yeah, thank you guys for joining us. And uh, if you have any suggestions for future topics, please shoot us an email at realpockettheology at gmail.com. Or if you know us personally, just shoot us a text or call us and let us know. We appreciate you and we will see you back here next time.